Good morning. Glad to have you here this morning. I'm Nathan, one of the pastors here at St. John's. Uh, so grateful to have you with us. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things. It's Palm Sunday, and so we're like, okay, we get palms, and it's called Palm Sunday, and we read the story, and we see people waving palm branches, but why palm branches? Uh, palm branches are a symbol of victory, a, a symbol of triumph, uh, something that, that was kind of commonplace in the ancient Near East was when a king would ride in, they'd rip down the branches and put them on the road, they'd wave them. It was a celebration. This is a celebratory thing. And yet it also seems a bit ironic to me. We just finished our series, our Lenten series, um, uh, Betrayed, Denied, mocked, murdered, and buried. And then we have Palm Sunday. And yet we know what's coming this next week. You don't have the parade for the national championship when you're not even in the final four yet, right? So why the celebration? Why the celebration when, when we know the, the victory hasn't even happened yet? So what do you do with this? Take it home. Use it as a reminder uh, this week to remind you of um, this week. Jesus coming into Jerusalem, knowing where he was headed, and yet he willingly does it for you and for me. And if you'd uh, like to learn how to fold it into a cross, uh, you can get lessons from some of the people in the band or go on YouTube. There's some people that are very good at it. I am not. You can see my failed attempts laying back in the tech booth. Uh, so yeah, take it home. Use it as a reminder this week uh, to remind you of what Jesus willingly came to do. And knowing that those shouts of the crowd of Hosanna would soon turn to crucify him. So let's, let's look at this text. Because the truth is, is we want victory in our lives. We want triumph. We want something different than what we have. I mean, honestly, we'd all look at ourselves and say, you know what, our lives living here in Orange County are pretty good. But we would see things about our lives that we'd say, you know what, that's not quite what I want. And there are things that if we're really honest with ourselves, we're admit that they're not quite working the way that we would hope for them to work. So let's start uh, with uh, verse 12 in chapter 12 of John. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And so there we get this idea that there's this great, great crowd. And the idea is, is Jesus stops in Bethany. If you read up a little bit earlier in our text, you find that Jesus is in Bethany. And Bethany is the home to famous characters in the biblical narrative, to the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And Bethany, Jesus was a very, very popular guy because you know, I get this idea that Lazarus was kind of a cool dude and people kind of liked him. I mean, Jesus liked him. And so when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, he gets this following of people that love what he can do, that have seen his miraculous power. And so when they hear that Jesus is heading up to Jerusalem for the Passover, all these people that have seen what Jesus can do, who saw Jesus or Lazarus die and then saw G Lazarus walk out of the tomb. All these people are excited and so they come along with Jesus, excited about who he is. And they go out and they start telling other people about this Jesus that is coming. And the people, they took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna! 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Hosanna. Hosanna commonly means simply, save us. Or save now I pray. Or sometimes it's understood to mean salvation. And so here they're shouting, save us, save us. But what kind of a saving were these people looking for? What kind of a saving did the crowd want? What were they hoping for? My guess is the last thing that they wanted was a Savior that would come to die. Perhaps they were looking for a Savior that would deliver them from the Romans, that would upset the social order where those people that Jesus was commonly hanging out with were oppressed and held down. Continues on. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king comes to you, seated on a donkey, on a donkey's colt. That's a weird image in my mind. I shared, a, I was talking with uh, some people that are on our team about worship this Sunday, and I had this idea, like when you see a king, or when you think of a king, and I think of Jesus, Jesus is the king of the universe, the king of all creation. And when I think of him coming in in a victory parade, I don't think of a king sitting on a donkey. I think of that scene with Gladrail and Lord of the Rings where there's bright light and power, but I was told that that was way too geeky and I shouldn't use it. I don't see Jesus sitting on a donkey. The Lord of the universe, the King of creation, everything that has been made has been made through Him. And yet here He is coming in, riding on a steed fit for a hobbit. And Jesus, we have this this incredible majesty combined with meekness. Ultimate power with complete humility. Perfect justice. And yet boundless grace. Absolute sovereignty and control and yet utter submission to the Father's plans. All sufficiency. A man who can feed 5,000 people out of five loaves and two fish. And yet complete dependence on God. It's this unreal picture, the picture of a person that just breaks our categories and the ways that we see people. The sort of thing that I think in any normal human being would produce a schizophrenic break. And yet in Jesus, all this is held together for you and for me. So let's continue on. And one more thing I want to notice here in the text that just kind of caught me as odd at the end. At first, his disciples did not understand this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him, and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. That statement kind of has stuck with me. That final statement, look how the whole world has gone after him. A statement full of contempt and derision. 
Pharisees are looking out at these people. This crowd. Why is this crowd chasing after him? Why are these people not listening to us? And it's something that also made me kind of wonder. The whole world is going after him. What kind of a savior are they going after? We live in a world where there's lots of messages out there about who Jesus is and what he does, and some of those are not in line with what God's word says to us. And yet people flock to those messages. So what kind of savior are they going out to find? And I think that brings us to our question. What kind of savior are you looking for? Do we want a Savior that changes us by challenging our predispositions, by, by challenging our values and our assumptions? I mean, I think we'd rather have a God, a Savior that, that validates us, that reinforces our ideals and how we view the world. And yet I would argue that that's not Jesus. I'm not advocating for a politician here or a party. But the little dirty secret that nobody really talks about is that a Republican cannot get elected without the white Christian vote. And a Democrat cannot get elected without the ethnic Christian vote. In other words, there are things that all of us look at politicians and say, something's not quite right here. All of us have misgivings about our leaders. And it also tells us that Jesus was not a Republican or a Democrat. And that Jesus doesn't line up with our political views. Rather, he challenges us to rethink our political views. See, the ethnic vote knows that we live in a broken world, and so they vote understanding that bent of needing to heal the broken world. And sometimes we who have had a more privileged life don't know that. And so how do we listen to this Jesus and let him affect not just um, the little bits and pieces of our lives, but all of our lives? See, the other part about Christianity is that if you go into a bookstore, there's whole sections on self-improvement. And I think that Christianity as a self-improvement process is a very attractive idea. Uh, Christianity that, that helps me in little ways and helps me get my life just a little bit better. When we talk about people coming to church, we think generally people come to church for one of two reasons. They come to reason because their life is a mess and they know they need help. Or they come to church saying, I've got my life pretty much together. I just need that little bit of extra stuff to help me along. Of course, that's not talking about people that regularly believe in Jesus. But people have gotten to that point in their life and said, I need something else. And I think that's sometimes how we can view Christianity. As something that helps us just a little bit. That, that just helps round out the edges. See, Christianity as transformation. Of giving up my expectations, of my hopes and dreams, of laying them at Jesus' feet. Is a little bit more 
uncomfortable. You see, the truth is, is the crowds and the Pharisees were not looking for the type of king that was coming to them. But the truth is, is that Jesus did come to save us. Most of all, he came to save us from a world that teaches us that the most important thing is what I want and what I want matters most. Jesus didn't come to make us nicer people. He didn't come to make us more disciplined people or more moral people. Jesus came to make a different kind of person in you and me. See, the king that they were all looking for wasn't the king that was coming to them. He was, isn't the king that comes to us. Jesus comes to transform all of us, every last bit of us, and in so doing, makes us into a different kind of people. I love these words that I've committed to memory from Philippians chapter 2. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but by taking the very nature of a servant and was made in human likeness. This is the Jesus that comes to you and to me. I want you to think for a moment about the most important people in your life. More than likely, you share a house with them, if that helps you. By your behavior, do they know that they are the most important people in your life? Do they know that? See, I believe that, that my wife was given to me by God to make me into the person that I'm supposed to be. And I think maybe I help her a little bit too, I hope. But that's what God's design for our life is. Is that out of our lives, that, that we are to think of those other people that God has placed in our lives before ourselves. And I want you to just imagine what that would do to your marriage to your relationship with your children, to the important people that God has placed in your life, if you took and flipped the script and started thinking of those people in your life as more important than yourself, what if you woke up every morning and said, what can I do today to bless and love my wife, to bless and love my daughter, to bless and love my son, to bless and love the people that God has placed in my life Jesus came to transform us, to change us, to make us into a different kind of people, a people that doesn't think the way that the world thinks. And this king comes to conquer, to conquer and give life and to come overcome the things that challenge us most. So what this Jesus came to do is that through his presence, God is trying to form in you the life and the character of Jesus. This king who ambles 
into Jerusalem on a donkey. And then has the audacity to storm the temple and say, this is my house. That's the kind of character that God is trying to produce in you. To make you a more complete person. To make you into the person that He has designed you to be. To make you into the person that He has ransomed you to be. And we believe here at St. John's that 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 happens when we gather together in community and are able to connect to God and His people here in, in worship. Because weird things happen to us as people when we go off in the woods by ourselves. I still have a book on my shelf that I got in Sedona of somebody that, that viewed themselves as a Christian but wouldn't tie himself to any worshiping community. And it's just strange. That's what happens when we go off by ourselves. And so we, we gather together so we can be exported and encouraged by others. And we're also supposed to dig into God's Word together with other people. And so Christ is formed in us when we get near the presence of Jesus and grow together with others in His Word. And we also come into the presence of Jesus by sharing Him with others. One of uh, my mentors said to me, that Jesus challenges us and sends us out into the world so that we're in over our heads, so that we don't know that we're doing, so that we can be in the presence of God. You see, the thing that happens when we go just beyond ourselves, when we can't rely on the things that we know or that we understand in places like Kenya or Juarez or the troubled neighborhood down the street is that we come into the presence of God because we realize how much we truly depend on Him. Jesus comes to save. Jesus comes to save, and so we cry, Hosanna, save us. Save us from ourselves so that we can be the people that we've been designed to be, that we've been made to be, that we've been ransomed to be, so that we can be complete and love those that God has placed in our life in such a way that the world changes because of His love in us. Amen.